you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast, Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It just wouldn't be a Grand Slam 2023 celebration show without bloody Freed from Desire playing in the background now, would it? Look, it wormed its way into my brain as it boomed out of the Aviva PA system on Saturday and has so far failed to worm its way back out. It could have been a lot worse. I could have inflicted Dropkick Murphys on you to start today's Second Captain's Podcast. So count yourself lucky. Hey, Murph. Hey, old. How's it going? Hey, Ken. Hey, how are you? Hey, Sai. Hey, fellas, how are you? How are we? How We're all great. Yes, Mark. Yeah, I, I don't think it's just like a Grand Slam 2023 weekend. It is now all of sport. You can't watch anything without being assailed with free, uh, free. No, I know for 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 black for black eyed peas circa t- t- yeah, fourteen. Yeah, that's exactly read, it. Yeah, free from desire now. <laughs> it's absolutely bizarre. Uh, it's so weird. Yeah, it's yeah. just everywhere. I mean, it's a better tune than the black eyed peas tune. It I, is. I, I, I will give it that. Tune. But yeah, yeah. it is absolutely ubiquitous at the moment. Our first ever Grand Slam in Dublin. Our fourth of all time, and possibly the most impressive of the lot. I know you're going to come at me, Murph, with Jackie Kyle's mental fortitude in 1948 as he recovered from the intercept pass he threw to English wing Dickie Guest at Twickenham can you can you see <laughs> my notes here can you are you reading yeah, my notes yeah, here d- d- there was obviously Captain Carl Mullen's famous rallying cry as they left the dressing room at Ravenhill to play the Welsh in the final game do you recall what he said oh well obviously I do but just for Ken there who's uh, who can't quite remember it yeah. this is it boys boot bollock and bite <laughs> <laughs> so that was 48 I would have gone with boot bite and bollock in but anyway listen Carol Car- Car- knows what he's doing boot bite and bollock is a way, yeah, boot bite and bollock is just a better cadence it, there, there is a better much rhythm. better cadence but yeah. listen that's, uh, uh, who am I to doubt Dr. Carol Mullen I kind of feel 2009 you know, it, it was it was a sweet one. It was a sweet one. I think it stands a test of time. I know people now are like, oh yeah, but the rugby we played wasn't great. We hadn't fucking won anything though. We hadn't even won a Six Nations uh, in all the, in the decade that preceded it. O'Driscoll said hadn't won a proper trophy. Well, you know, no disrespect to the Triple Crown. But it did feel like the culmination of a decade of good performances that hadn't yielded anything. So 2009... I think holds mm. up well. 2018, the performance against England at Twickenham, in fairness, uh, to win it was a better finale than, or a more comprehensive finale than Saturday just gone. But 
as a package I don't know what you think Cy there was something very satisfying this year by the way firstly the fact that we get to sit here and compare Grand Slams that we've won yeah. in recent <laughs> yeah. years is nice but coming yeah. in as world number that one that we're old enough to remember yeah. but backing it up all the way winning what felt like the Grand Slam decider against France I've certainly always thought it was always a feeling that could be it once we got that mm. done all the madness against Scotland and then doing it at home sex and send off there are a lot of good memories to take out of this and particularly with the with the little World Cup just around the corner yeah, and I think of all the slams, it's the one that makes you most excited about the future because 09, as you say, was like breaking new ground. We can actually do this thing. And that was the hardest to win. And then 2018 was like the culmination of a brilliant game plan that other teams couldn't cope with. And we were maybe naive to think that would continue on for too much longer. Eventually, video analysts would get their claws into it and figure out uh, how to solve it and then this one feels like weirdly like we came through a little bit of a journey in every single game even the Welsh game you know there was issues that we had to overcome and against England for 60 minutes they were self-inflicted really for the first time those issues but we came through each time and in at no stage do you think this is absolutely as good as this team can play I think the best the team can play was probably the second or third test against New Zealand and that sort of level would win you a World Cup quarterfinal, but this slam, at no stage you think they've hit their peak. So you're going, we we have a slam in our back pocket and we can play much better. And that's not sort of bullshit. You know the way sometimes team win, teams win things and they say, oh, we can play much better. That's actually the truth with this team. I I, I, I do think against I do think against France we were pretty close to it. I mean, we played very well against we, France. We did that. Fair. We did that's true. That, that was you know if you're if you're to produce that sort of stuff again, you're going well. But also even uh, yeah, I take your point. And even if we were at our peak, it's also the peak too early thing. It's we're pretty close now. We're in World mm, Cup year. Yeah. It's just a few months away. It's not a bad yeah. time to be playing some good stuff. It's not like and of all the little experiments we've tried advanced. with how to perform in a World Cup, we've never actually won a slam in a World Cup year. So <laughs> give it a lash. So this is another yeah, new give way. It, to give lose. it a lash. <laughs> yeah, this Great. is a, uh, uh, this is you can add it to the canon of ways yeah. to lose World Cup quarterfinals. Win a Grand Slam a number of months beforehand, and get very excited. But no, listen. Sure, we were through this in the World Service last week. Anyway, it's all about the World Cup warm up curse. That's something we have to worry about. Yeah, we'll get to that one down the we line. We can just not play Corcoran. those games on. For God's sake. Dana, don't play any warm-ups. Michael Corcoran and Donald Lennon calling the final moments on Saturday on Radio 1. That's Robbie Henshaw got us it. Is he held up or otherwise the referee's whistle has gone? He said the ball was knocked on, but the referee has blown the full-time whistle. We have time for no more. Welcome to the home of the Grand Slam champions. It was uh, in doubt for a long period of time, but in a second half of a riveting game, it's Ireland who deserved to win this one. Well, it was never going to be easy, and anybody said that England were just... Well, they really did come in quickly with the music yeah. on the PA system. I thought, in my head, it was a little longer. It was like full-time yeah. whistle, then bang, D- straight DJ's in, fingers not like twitching on the faders. I just got to get this tune in. <laughs> yeah. Wow, what was the atmosphere like, Simon? It, yeah, it's actually... Yeah, I mean, I was about to say, aside from that post-match music, but you can throw that into the mix if you want. It, it was sort of funny in that the crowd, because the build-up, as we discussed several times last week, the build-up was all, we will win this and win it easy, and what will the score be? Can England avoid humiliation? And there was definitely, that was in the fans' heads. You could tell, they were like, let's put on a show. You know, this is a coronation. Mm. And then Ireland started patching, like right from the start, Ireland were nervous. And then you just kept waiting for them to click into gear. And there was a couple of like periods where it was hard to believe it was the same team. They were shocking, like six, seven mistakes in a sort of two minute period. And then it started getting twitchier. But when the crowd made noise, it was the noisiest I can remember uh, Lansdowne Road being, you know, ever. But there was long periods of 
silence because people were nearly too nervous to to cheer. Mm. So it was, when it was good, it was really yeah. good. But there was too many periods of people. People need like to be a good fan. I suppose you have to overcome that and start making noise and support your team. And there was a moment in the second half. It was before the Baird um, turnover. I don't know if you remember that. It felt like a key moment anyway. But a couple I remember of remember the turnover. Yeah, yeah. When it ultimately ended up leading to the the try. The it it try. sort of was like the breaking point for England. I thought it, it, it certainly felt important at the time and and subsequently. Uh, was but the crowd sort of broke broke themselves out of the anxiety and start cheering and it felt like new ground for for this uh stadium because it's just been like last season was shocking you know and if you can't be up for as somebody tweeted me you know uh sexton um uh, getting the record playing england grand slam decider first one at home, all that sort of stuff, then it'll never be good. And you'd like to think, it was really good by the end, really good by the end, and you'd like to think it sort of sets a tone or a new benchmark for how the Aviva should sound. It was a nervous occasion. It was a nervous performance. I think the nerves got to everyone, even the irrepre- irrepressible Mac Hansen. Yeah, uh, yeah, very, very nervous. Um, I was taking some tablets before the game so I didn't shit myself. I was, I was very nervous. I think everybody was. I think you can kind of see that in the way we're playing. So, you know, um, that's something for us to improve on, but for now we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna enjoy this. <laughs> he says it like it is. Does Mac? Thank you for sharing, oh, and no. perhaps oversharing. Oversharing. There's been a bit of oversharing maybe by Mac this week, but you know, mm. uh, listen, he, he told us he wants us to beat themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was obviously we met, we've touched on Sexton. We'll talk to Shane and Andrew a little bit about him, but he really embraced the, embraced the occasion. I just loved how emotional he was. Mm. Uh, kind of before, during and after. I mean, he's always p- pretty emotional during the game, I suppose. But he really, uh, you know, he, he really let himself get into it. Uh, I thought James Lowe gave a very good answer, actually, in one of his, I think this was on Virgin, when he was asked about this being Sexton's final Six Nations match. It's, it's funny because we didn't really touch on that because he's the one who speaks the most. You know, he's our emotional leader. Wouldn't say he's our physical leader, but he puts us in the right areas of the pitch. He demands the best. He is the best, and he's going to be a sore loss when uh, when it comes next year, and we don't have him. So, uh, amazing character, hugely important to Irish rugby, and pretty fitting that he's now uh, the top point scorer uh, in the Six Nations. Bloody great guy off the field, great family man. Um, you know, he's he's a very good dude. Don't tell him I said that. The only slight bit of shade there wouldn't say the physical leader. I mean, we've all we, we've we've always put Sexton on a bit of a pedestal there as well. The physical stuff as well. He, he did the, get injured ultimately, thrown himself under an English mall that you know, like twenty bodies. I think that's actually how he <laughs> hobbled off. So. Also, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know quite what Low wants, but listen, I'm picking one, one hole in what was a really good answer. He demands the best; he is the best. I mean, it's a, it's about a, it's good a summation of Johnny Sexton. Yeah. I mean, he really did seem to, he loved the whole thing. Obviously, got to share it with the kids and all that kind of stuff. Was he really not going to bring the kids on if they lost? This is what he said in advance. It's like obviously, I've told them we have to win. If they're going to get on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, you've learned a valuable <laughs> lesson here today, young son. That looks exactly like me. <laughs> God, they really do look like they really do look, look a like, lot yeah. like. They all do. It's a weird. It's a weird, beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, maybe it's not that no, weird. No, Let's no, be no. honest. A lot are, of kids. A lot of no, kids involved. If I can, I, I can explain this to you. Maybe on a different podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of that, kids involved. Did you notice in the the na 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 bit of uh, freed from desire? Um, yeah. There were several kids going in the air along with trophies and champagne and hair and whatnot. Mm. 
<laughs> oh yeah, Bundy Aki's kid. Well, he was throwing him around with abandon. Mm. Like, Careful there, Bundy. Bundy. <laughs> Not everyone's as tough as you, including your three-year-old kid. But anyway, everyone everyone seemed to survive without any injuries being inflicted. The well, the red card I wanted to mention just before we get on mm. with the chat side because that that'll come later on in this conversation. We're going to hear yep. it didn't exactly turn the game. Ireland had it's kind of good that well, it's very good that Ireland had at least turned it around, put a bit of pressure on scored a try gotten a few points ahead before that happened because if that had happened at the 6-0 stage or something mm. like that you really would be saying oh that's going that's tarnished it a bit it, it it's only tarnished it in the sense that it threatened to make it too easy a game for Ireland but even yeah. that didn't come to pass what do you think yeah and we saw against England last year as well with the red card it didn't actually make for an easy game and Ireland don't actually deal particularly well with facing 14 men but there's a couple of wider points and people are feeling sorry for Freddie Stewart and I felt sorry for him during the game I didn't think it was a red when I watched it but we should be feeling even more sorry for Keenan who missed the rest of the game had to go off uh, mm. with a HIA and anyway, in a marginal one like this, we should be leaning towards safety, if in doubt, unlike what we did for the Unai Atonio shoulder on Herring, which was blatant and there was no red. Um, I Like the more I watch... It was the- a challenge that, 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 that looks worse. It does look worse the more you watch it. I think a lot of people were the same. It didn't feel like mm. one of those clear reds. And to be fair, if the ref had gone yellow, I don't think the stadium would have been an uproar or anything. No, they but wouldn't know. Once you start looking at it again, you're thinking, oh, oh yeah, no, no, he's, he's this... This probably is a red card. I know they're not thinking that way in England today. No, very much. They're, they, a, they, a lot of their questions afterwards were just about the red card. And uh, they're going to... I saw that. And some of the Ireland players are like, oh, I don't know, it's not great. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you, uh, I'm about to go drink 40 pints. Stop asking me yeah, about this. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that, well, I think Stuart had such a tiny amount of time to react but yet his reaction wasn't... He, he still left enough margin of doubt for a referee to give a red. So you're asking an awful lot of, of a player to react and, and sort of absorb a stumbling player who's just changed direction at the last second. But that's, that is now what we're asking of players in these situations. Um, it's, it's one of the most marginal ones I can ever remember watching and I'm still undecided. But the more I watch it, the more... I was absolutely certain it wasn't a red during the game. But the more I watch it, the more I think there was a good reason to give the red. And it, but it was also feeling <laughs> sorry for Freddie Stewart. I don't think he did anything horribly wrong. But it is in keeping, if you think about Ireland's discipline, is in line with their status as the world number one at the moment. Neil Tracy on RT was reporting that since Bundy's red card against England two years ago, Ireland had given up just two yellows. That's in 21 games. With France next best, really? with France next best on three yellows and two reds, which is significantly different. In the same period of time, he was saying uh, this: Neil Tracy, New Zealand have played twenty-seven games, had fourteen yellows and three reds. Australia have had twenty-three yellows and three reds in their last twenty-eight games. Wow. So we're absolutely <laughs> miles ahead on that one. It is a pretty important part of the game. All right, well, listen, the attention is going to turn to the Republic of Ireland footballers over the next week or so. Evan Ferguson has warmed up nicely for the games against Latvia and France. We'll be talking a little bit about that on the football pod today. And of course, loads of football coverage on the World Service during the week. But let's get you into some Grand Slam celebrations. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan 
turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Surtout pas d'être pris hors jeu, pas hors jeu, pas hors jeu, tant pis, ça relance, c'est du terrain, mais pas Attention, le drop, il arrive Le drop de Jonathan Sexton c'est terrible Terrible Jonathan Sexton à la terre l'équipe de France France Available for Murray. Moves it back then out towards CJ Stander. CJ Stander under pressure but it's trying to have control of it. Midway between the French 22 and the uh, 10 meter line. Sexton with the attempted drop of goal. Goal side the 22. Goes towards the post. It's gone towards the post. It's over. Ireland with the drop of goal. It's gone between the post. Let drop. The ball is gone. The fellas are just literally on top of each other. Away to the left hand side. France have been absolutely destroyed with the final kick of the game. It's drop and goal. France have been robbed of victory. 82, 83 minutes gone. After start the France, the pace has gone mad. Ireland have snatched it from the jaws of defeat. Incroyable. Quel match winner. Quel match winner. Jonathan Sexton à la terre. Oh. Crucifie l'équipe de France. Que c'est dur. C'est terrible. Terrible. Le drop de Jonathan Sexton. Listen, I don't want to sit here ruining, besmirching this great occasion by accusing Andrew Trimble of glory hunting off the bat here. But we haven't seen him since the early stages of the Six Nations. Andrew, you're back. Now that there's a grand slam literally on the table, you're swanning back in. How are you? Yeah, now's the time. Now's the time. I'll see you towards <laughs> the end of October for the World Cup final. Exactly. Well. The latter stages. <laughs> the latter stages of the World Cup. Shane, how are you? Good fun on Saturday? I'm here. just grinding it out week in, week out, lads. <laughs> just delivering my best. Just solid performances. That's how you win a grand slam. I'm trying, it's actually weird listening to your voice, Shane, without without freed from desire, banging away in the background there, <laughs> as it was yeah, throughout yeah. the... That, that, that must have been a tough enough broadcast post-match on Saturday. It was good, it was good. It brought back great memories in more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how was it? What sort of what sort of an occasion was it? Because you were both involved in that Virgin broadcast. Um, it, listen, it, I said at the top of the show, I actually felt genuinely privileged to be there. There's not many Grand Slams come about. You know, they've never come about in Dublin. Um, it was, it did feel very historic to be there for Johnny Sexton's last game and, and to, um, to, to win the, or to, to uh, be the leading point scorer in the Six Nations. Uh, with a guy who who I played with, I I was honestly I was so happy and maybe sort of overly emotional at the start of the broadcast when maybe we shouldn't have been, but um, you, you then try to want to you, you need to balance it because 
it, it is about the occasion um, and mm. it's about the, um, you know, it's about the Grand Slam. We normally, in the way we normally analyze, it's very much about the detail, about matches, the match and what's going on there, what's gone on before and what's likely to happen. But it, you know, I don't think people were that interested in that. They wanted to <laughs> get the the feeling of the experience of being there, what was on the line and that historic sense of it. So it was a different type of broadcast, but but, but fun nonetheless. Yeah, nice husky voice you're coming at us with today as well on the Monday. What about yourself, Andrew? Let's hear no, that. Sorry, you that sorry, excuse yeah. me before you cast aspersions. That's because of all the mm-hmm. hard work I was doing on Saturday. I know. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of talk. And Andrew, how did you find the occasion there at Lansdowne? Yeah, I, I agree with Shaggy. It did feel a little bit emotional. And um, I get everything that was going on with, with Johnny as well. And yeah, having a good relationship with Johnny through the years and, you know, being there through even just my, my wife knows his wife and keeps in touch and even just the fact that we know how how, how badly he takes it when things aren't going well and he's been through tough times and it's just that whole it's just the journey of a player's career that we've kind of tracked and the one of the greatest if not the greatest i think <laughs> i'm quoting andy farrell here now and potentially getting carried away as well but certainly up there and just such a long career and it just it not all being straightforward and knowing that there's been t- tough times for him and tough times for this team in the past even tough times for for Andy Farrell and um, being part of the last World Cup and then taking over and then people kind of wondering what is going to happen here where's this going to go he's never been a head coach before it doesn't look like the, the sh- you know it never looked like we were going to see a team come out of that period of time so there's so much going into it and then I think any other uh, not any other time but on, in another on another occasion you would have just been thinking grand slam everything is about this grand slam and it felt like a huge sense of relief once the, the red card happened the second half we then we got a foothold probably around 50 55 minutes it was done it was, it was game over any other time it would have been grand slam we're celebrating having the time of our lives but it felt like okay relief for grand slam that's in place but now it's i i was thinking world cup i was thinking you know i think a lot of people were thinking this team being part of this this is just part of the journey and the process towards you know what could be an incredibly special year for irish rugby and then all the guys involved as well so i don't know if you you experienced that or anybody felt that as well but felt like grand slam was relief park that and then there's a bigger there's a bigger story unfolding here that's how i felt yeah i did as well even even the sort of celebrations now i i I wouldn't say they were muted, but they they weren't maybe as bananas as remember back in two thousand and nine, the first Grand Slam, and and that was the the that was the holy grail, and everything was focused on that, and nothing else mattered. And while there was a huge, clearly a clear a huge focus, and Sexton spoke about it, even uh, he spoke about it retrospectively at the start of the tournament or before the start of the tournament. They had identified this as a really great opportunity to win a Grand Slam and they even spoke about what it would be like in that moment in Dublin with their families and they never talk about that. They're always next game, next game, next game. Oh, we're not looking at the bigger picture, but of course they look at the bigger picture. Everyone does. I remember before the... um, uh, Before the... um, Six Nations, I think it was 2007. I mean, Eddie O'Sullivan before Christmas saying, this is the Grand Slam. If we're ever going to win it, like this is the year to do it. So you do identify different years as, as particularly mm-hmm. are you, um, you know, opportunistic. Um, so it was kind of good to hear that. But um, that celebration, although, you know, fulsome, was there was something, something being reserved. And that was... There's there's another tale to tell. There's another twist um, here, and that is that is the World Cup. 
Andrew, the fact that we backed up being world number one, backed up the series win in New Zealand, beat obviously France, the number two, maybe number one side in the world, beat South Africa, the World Cup champs, uh, averaged like 30 points a game in this Six Nations. Is it the best Irish rugby team ever, do you think? I think it is, yeah. I think if you can play, we played pretty badly at the weekend and uh, we still got a bonus point win at home to England. Um and it hasn't all been perfect, but this, um, I actually think the way we performed at the weekend is the perfect illustration or the, the perfect um, kind of springboard to move on from. Because if we, if we wipe the floor with England, then I think we swagger a little bit into the summer, into preseason. It just feels like the, the tone after the game. When after a game do you ever have this conversation about, we can get a lot better than this? You know, it's, it's just after not. After winning a, a Grand Slam, it is. It is surreal, really, isn't it? It's you think crazy. Yeah. And sometimes that sounds a bit fake, Andrew, but really after this game, we can play a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. And it it's something that's meant to sound humble. Oh, we're working on things we're working mm. on, but actually it sounds smug. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not blaming coaches, players, anybody. We are all smug. Irish rugby supporters across the board, we were all smug and we all assumed we were going to win that game. Against didn't England. take as long. It, did, it didn't take as long. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of months of dominance. Exactly. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, and I do think if if Ireland can win as easily and untidily as they have done in, um, in Murrayfield, it was ridiculous how much disruption there was. And the weekend play so badly, but still win. The big, the big one was the France game for me. And I think maybe in hindsight, and we've seen what France have done um, at Twickenham since, and we've seen how, how good France can be. And they, I can't believe for a second that we thought, oh, France have gone off the boil. Like they might have lost three, four percent tops, but this French team are still going to be incredible and still going to be a massive handful in France in a quarterfinal potentially. And that's the only thing that kind of tempers our excitement about the World Cup. But despite I don't think they were that bad that day and I just thought it was one of the best performances I've seen from an Irish team an incredible game an incredible performance and that that's a reflection of how good this team can be and how high the ceiling is and it's performances like that that kind of underline the untidy wins and the ugly wins and show that if Ireland get everything right they can be unbelievable and yeah so off the back of all of that, different examples of it in different contexts, it does feel like this can, this Irish team um, deserves to be one of the best ever. And on that on that French performance, France were there to play that day. It's not like they didn't show up. Um, they did, and we could see it from there. You know, they scored an absolutely phenomenal try. Uh, Ireland just totally outmatched them and and delivered. Yeah, maybe their best performance of the Six Nations and one of the best in in years. But. It was an important result in loads of different ways, obviously, at the weekend. Um, Ireland not performing and and still being able to win is a really important you know um, part of of being able to do, go deep in a World Cup. Now, I wouldn't like them to play quite that bad again because they really <laughs> were poor across mm-hmm. the board. Someone like, for example, Furlong, who. I, I, maybe the best prop in the world he had a very very average game like we haven't seen as much drop ball behind the gain line we we saw in the opening 10 minutes I think we lost two rooks which just doesn't happen to us um, the lots of options were poor Hugo Keenan had a, a massive hack to touch sort of stuff that we, we don't see so James I Ryan do think, James Ryan dropping yeah. balls Keelan Doris dropped it was, it was weird it was weird these are yeah, top performers consistently week after week after week and, and a number of them were off, off the boil. Yeah, lost the line out over the top. So a couple of things. One, you can't um, rely on doing well in the World Cup by saying, if we play at our best every week, we'll do X, Y, and Z. 
Like that's not it. You do yeah. you don't play at your best every week, and you don't play at your best the whole way through a World Cup. So forget about that. It's yeah. dealing with the mediocre performance against a good team, yeah. um, and maybe a, you know a team playing at their best, a, a weaker team playing at their best. You still have to win those games. So we can't rely on playing our best every week. That that's not something we can do. Um, and then how do we manage through those through those games? How do we uh, have enough in our game to not be worried about um, things when they're going slightly wrong and get back on trap about get back on track? And finally, recognizing I spoke a lot before the game about this team feeling almost nerveless, uh, nerveless, and that they you know can deal with every situation, and you know in some ways that's true because they got over the line but I think we definitely saw a level of anxiety because this was a Grand Slam game the enormity of it something that we haven't seen for a while from our island performances you know it's just a shaky nervousness um, to recognise that yeah emotion still has a factor to play and these players aren't total machines they're you know they can intensely and pressure can get in on them now they've, generally they've dealt with it brilliantly um, but it definitely let the performance slip a little bit at the weekend not that it matters because the only thing that mattered was getting over the line and they did it and I know we I'm sure we'll talk about the red card but without the red card we still would have got over the line I really feel that we 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 in our best moments looked as if we could uh, break that uh, England team down and and I would have been I'm not sure if I would have been confident but I, I think one way or another we were coming out and winning that game Shane, you're right that the win obviously mattered more than the performance, but I took notes. Uh, there was like a five-minute period where it was scarcely believable. Like, they fumbled a ball in the rook. Uh, Jimmy O'Brien dropped a catch, uh, albeit a tough one. Sheehan passed to an England player. Doris put a pass on the ground. Sexton kicked way too long. Lowe flung an offload on the ground. He was over on the left wing. Peter Manley got ripped in the tackle. And I, w- I was sort of thinking... Is this the team that obviously nerves have got to the team? Like there was no way you could explain that beyond nerves and pressure. And I just wonder, did the team learn that they can cope with nerves? Like they overcame that obviously and won the game. Did they learn that they can cope with nerves? Or did they learn actually that nerves can have a way bigger impact on their performance than this group ever imagined? Or do you say this is a unique situation? It's a unique game it's a one-off and you might say that about world cup you might say that about a quarterfinal or a semi-final but it's not like these players haven't been able to deal with, with nerves and anxiety before at a really high level for example you know the french game it was a massively pressured environment mm. you know, you could say the, you know the third test against new zealand where they had you know they they pulled this off um, again they've dealt with that pressure they've dealt with massive pressure in European Cup games um, sometimes successfully sometimes not but they've been in that sort of white heat um, and uh, I thought most of all through the Six Nations was the pressure that came with Scotland um, when Scotland were playing at their best and Ireland were, were men down that was you know a very difficult time to deal with and they definitely they dealt with it admirably so I think maybe just a little bit, these aren't a perfect team because no team is perfect. And, you know, certain circumstances and certain situations can cause them to be a little bit off now and again, now and again. How do they deal with it? You know, I think pretty well. I, you know, you said that was, I remember that period. I was writing down the mistake after mistake after mistake uh, in my notebook. And and it was more than you would see from from Ireland an entire game in that, just in that short period. Um, So I think it's, 
it's important for them to know that you know there this is a factor be aware of it but they've now got through that at a, a grand slam game with all the sex and stuff with everything all the pressure of the nation and that does build some you know calluses as well now will it be slightly different the world cup and you know going into a game against um france yeah it will but i would imagine in a game against france it's not even just about you know digging out a performance that's one of the games where you're going to have to have your best performance so you know there's a there's other factors here in play and and you don't know what you're going to get served up later on but i think they'll be better for they will be way better for having gone through that not played very well and still won a grand slam because the you know the alternative would be almost unthinkable um i'm not sure if it was all um just nervousness i think there's things practical things coaching tips that they can learn and pick up and improve on for the next game as well because there was a level of line speed that came from england and now i know they've experienced that with south africa probably with france at times as well but i don't know if there was something different about that but it felt like they weren't dropping balls necessarily just because they were nervous or because it was a big occasion but because they were getting english defenders that were up in their face willing to make a point prove a point and this is an english team an english pack that are on their last chance basically borthwick said i'm going to pick you again this week okay lads but you were so bad last week and this is they're fighting for their careers so they had a lot to, and that all made its way into line speed and intensity and Aaron didn't cope with that and it, it wasn't just nerves there's an element of they need to learn to keep their depth and just to to react to that and this is one of the first times i think Ireland haven't reacted well to something haven't coped and haven't um f- managed to find a plan b and um, they they still flattened up they lost their shape a little bit and they put the ball receivers under a bit of pressure and that's one thing they could probably learn from this yeah but uh, interesting point there, Andrew, because <clears throat> when you say nerves or anxiety i'm uh, uh, often people think you're thinking about something else and that's why you drop the ball but actually that's not how it manifests i think it, it is maybe you, you maybe you get a little bit too flat you're getting anxious so you start to creep and it means that you have less time on the ball or you're thinking about in a situation um where you feel as if you have to push a pass where you don't really need to do it and or you know your timings are slightly uh, wrong very often because you're again you're sort of creeping and you want to get into position earlier so it's not a direct consequence of you know of being um you know, the occasion or and mm. and and being nervous for it was internal being pressure in rather than english yeah, pressure it's just changing your behavior slightly almost in so small a way that it'd be imperceptible but those changes are the difference between a high in a high performance team it's a difference between we've all seen that move those loop plays work really well them working and them not working so it, it's you know, it's it can be very very fine margins that players are slightly not in tuned, or or you know, there's an anxiety to try and perform as opposed to being in the moment and and playing exactly what you've trained to do and mm. what you've scouted to do. I, I can identify with that firsthand as well. We I played in the the legends game. I'm using air quotes here on Friday night because our <laughs> performance wasn't very legendary. Let's just say, and um, a lot of drop balls, and not because we were nervous, but because we're all overweight and haven't held a rugby ball. In <laughs> years. So it's not just nerves. <laughs> yeah, no, no such problems there at the Irish team on Saturday, but the. You know, taken as a whole, this championship, it kind of feels to me, Andrew, like f- finally we're up to the same Grand Slam tally as Wales in the, in the two thousand since 2000. You know, we're, we're up there, same amount of championships. Uh, you know, we've won as many championships now as 
uh, as England and Wales. We're we're kind of getting our, our France. We're actually we're actually still behind. We're actually still behind them. Still behind them. Well, we're we're getting yeah. there. You know, in terms of like four Grand Slams, yeah. feels to me now like a good reward for this sort of for the consistency we've had. I mean, there's barely been a Six Nations yeah. in the last twenty three years where we haven't been consistent and competitive. And now to actually mm. have the silverware, it feels like one of the more. It, it just feels like we, I know you're. You know, we might be getting a bit smug or whatever, but it feels like we do actually deserve this amount of trophies. It do, I, I think it feels like we deserve it. I think that's a, a number that kind of reflects this golden era of Irish rugby, I think. And all the way, as you said, the last 20 years, but increasingly so, we, it feels like we've gathered momentum. 2009, then 14, 15, 18, 20, it felt, felt like we've gathered momentum. And it definitely does. Again, we're subjective from an Irish perspective. It definitely feels that we deserve that. But l- some of those wheels um, wins, I've, I always felt like wheels were overperforming. And I wonder, Shaggy, you mentioned something actually a, a, a number of weeks ago about how other teams perceive this Irish team and, mm. and how there's a, there's a dislike or there's, you know, the people see it differently from the outside in. I wonder if they think, okay, this Irish team's finally kicking on and fulfilling the potential. I don't know if they would maybe be as generous as we're being. Oh, I don't know. Reading the English media, Shane, I'm sure you see a lot of it living over there. God, they're effusive about Ireland. Yeah, I think this and this Irish team are very rated. Um, there was a period under Joe Smith, and I think um, maybe it was it was uh, a more controlled game plan that where there was a lot of um, box kicking at the end. They didn't read; they really didn't like that, and I don't think they saw it as so. It's kind of more definitely efficient, but but not how they'd want to see rugby played, and uh, so we did get quite a lot of criticism around that, or not even so much criticism. I don't think we were held in the, in the same sort of um, you know regard as this team is now. Um, I think they they really fancy this team. I think they like the way they play. In some ways, there's some connection there with Andy Farrell and and uh, Mike Cass. The fact that you know, oh, you know that that they were in the England setup and how do we let these go and look how good they are now and look yeah, like it's actually a stick with which to beat the RFU with as well, which probably suits a lot of English rugby fans. Which, you know, it's, which is the yeah the journals over here are quite happy to use, but yeah, I, I um, increasingly so over the last few weeks, you know, right across the board, um, English journalists have been going. This is this is a special team and and have high expectations. For them for the world cup as well you'll know andrew and when we first got to the world number one or we had a good autumn series and and beat south africa or new zealand uh, um not new zealand south africa or australia and um there was always kind of yeah but are you really that good and i don't think i think that the full um just deserves but um i think that's that's changed now and i think they see ireland as an excellent team excellent players playing really well and a real real contenders for the world cup we had mike tindall on just before the ireland england game in 2019 so we we just won the slam the previous year and he came on, he said, I don't know how Ireland wins so many games. Honestly, this feels like it's about to end. And we, we were shocked. Uh, oh, and we had him in studio. We're like, no, no, we're, we're the world number one and it's going to carry on. And then like within a few days, England had smashed us and kind of knocked all our momentum. And yet him, the likes of Matt Dawson saying we can absolutely go on and win the World Cup. Stuart Barnes is saying the same. Sam Warburton, John Beatty. So like the English, Welsh and Scottish media, I think are all over us at the moment. What about Johnny Sexton, Shane? How do you think he handled the occasion? How pleased were 
for you for him to get that get that send off or at least that Six Nations send off yeah he, he said at the end that it was a dream come true and I said um, on Virgin that it's not even a dream you know you don't in your wildest dreams would you piece that together <laughs> and, and um, like become the leading point score, scorer in the history of the Six Nations uh, Eclipse Rog which is, <laughs> which is a nice one for him as well <laughs> a Grand Slam home game against England I know it's a bit sort of paddywhackery but you know St. Patrick's Day weekend is nice as well everybody was there and, and, and celebrating and a, I think a an audience that were you know, universally wanted this teams to succeed um, because of the resilience, the way they play, um, the amount of success they've had to this point. It it felt as if they deserved the World Cup, and um, you know, everybody wanted them to. Oh, sorry, uh, Six Nations, and everybody wanted them to, to, to deliver on it. Um, and so, so what a you know, how, how could you make that up? Even the kid, you're playing in the backyard. I don't think you would put all those things together. If you did, you'd probably your dad would give you a clip around the ear and tell you to cop on. Um, it, it was too much. Get it's real, too much. Shane. Yeah, get real. And if if you look at you know, it, it, there is this thing about you know, all sporting careers are, are like um, political careers; they all end in failure. But you know, maybe they don't. And, you know, you think I remember Brian's amazing moment in um, in, mm. in the Aviva as well, but it, it wasn't this. This this was something else. And, and um, I, he deserves it. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm really delighted for him. He deserves it because he has been the one consistent over the last, well, what is it, 15 years or so for Ireland, not far, far off, and um, has been the generally the key component in Ireland's success, both as an individual and pulling a collective together. I do feel also, Shane, I don't, I don't know if you agree with this, but, you know, I, I was watching the match in the pub and the, the reverence for Sexton now, which wasn't always there, I don't think. I think it's taken him, it feels like it might have taken him a lot longer than it took O'Driscoll to kind of gain the reverence that his achievements have deserved. He's a different kind of character, you know, he's not, but it, that seems to me to have changed. Even at the weekend, he was so, like his little, his little celebration when he kicked the, the touchline conversion for the third try was more than he usually gives after a kick. He knew how important his that was. His celebration after the first Sheehan try in the first half. was brilliant. Like his, his interview as well, yeah. it was really, like really warm, really, enthusiastic you know which isn't always the way that he has come across I think so it, it feels to me like definitely it might have taken a bit longer but that he the reverence is there that really he deserves based on what he's produced yeah also I forgot he was captain as well just throw that into the mix you know he yeah. lifted the trophy it's like yeah. there's, there's too much but um, you're right and Sex, I think that's because of this sort of era that he came out of. There was these massive characters in like O'Garam and, and Paulie and of course, you know, sort of Brian dominated the landscape for for so long. And then Sexton came in, but, um, you know, always a key, a key individual, but he wasn't captain as well and he didn't do that many interviews so you didn't see as much of his personality but you're right I've noticed it as well and this is I would say in the last 18 months he's gone from this guy who you know people knew about and you know admired and and I knew he was good yeah but now it's it's you know he's something else you know he, he's he, he's he's a kind of almost a historic figure already and he's got you know obviously a bit more to do but he is now without a doubt in that sort of pantheon of the best Irish players of all time and and he wasn't there he was he was good and he, you know he you know uh, you know, maybe he a part of that was because you know because O'Gara was so good before him, and he had to get he had to be so good to to sort of jump that sort of O'Gara hurdle. And then w- once you've done that, then you're talking about you know who else can you compare him to? And it's a very very small group now. 
Oh, it's just O'Driscoll, I think. But it's interesting, I think, that I think in his own head, the civil war he has probably reflects what he thinks he should have gotten. And maybe he's relaxing because of that. He always seemed like, he always seemed annoyed when he got subbed or injured or lost a game. He looked like an annoyed character, whereas now I think he, he's a better captain. He's a more relaxed person. He looks happier in himself. And it's reflected in the group. And I just wonder, Andrew, I find it interesting that we've got to number one in the world. We've backed up being number, in the world, number one in the world and won a slam with a team that's back to express itself on and off the field. Yeah, and just to kind of pick up on that conversation about about Johnny in general, I, I wonder how, if you watch Ireland whenever um, whenever Dricko was, whenever he was firing, it, 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 you don't, you don't need to be a rugby supporter to see that X factor and there's something special about him. I think you maybe do need to be a bit more nuanced to see what's special about Johnny. Yeah. Um, albeit, I would argue, at least as um, influential, if not more influential, because it's not what he does in the 80 minutes. It's not what he does with the ball in his hands. It's what he does in the run-up to the game, the six days before the game. It's the, the impact impact he has in the environment, the standards he sets. Everybody talks about his driving standards all the time. And it feels like there's been an evolution of, of Johnny. Johnny has worked under Schmidt, and then he just works um, as well under Andy Farrell, if not even more. And it feels like every time there's a new era, he... Um, reacts and adds another layer to his experience which then in turn impacts the team even more and it's not changing that and starting again it's just adding something adding something and he just feels like he's got this lovely balance yes and even what he does in the pitch is incredible and, and is is very special but it's just not the x factor they see from O'Driscoll when he gets the ball and he scores those worldy tries and he's got that highlight reel Johnny yes there's a highlight reel but I think the big impact is what he does to the players around him and it's even more compelling and interesting that he does it to players who are 10 and 15 years younger than him who he maybe just doesn't have that connection with but he still finds a way to identify with them and bring them on and then as you say that captaincy role as well and just all of that intertwined I think there's been a real realization in the last few years this guy's very very special it took us maybe a while to realize it but he's extremely special and we're, we need to kind of acknowledge that and I think across the board I agree completely everybody really really testifies to that and understands that and sees it we've talked Shane a lot in this championship about our attack about our phase attack the subtlety of what Sexton does as Andrew's talking about there um, our defence sometimes to the eye looks a bit shaky. We make errors maybe out wide. Obviously, in the Italy game, we didn't look great in midfield. But Russ Petty had a stat on Twitter over the weekend of tries conceded in the in this Six Nations, Italy 22, Wales 19, England 18, France 14, Scotland 12. Tries conceded in 2022 and 2023 Six Nations, Ireland combined 10 tries. We, we, we sometimes concede ground, we miss tackles, we give away very few tries. Yeah, so they have a really miserly defence. And I think, you know, let's look at the, the, the two games where we had some difficulties that you mentioned there. In the Italian game, I think that was a personnel issue. And we know Bundy isn't a 13 in this system. Or if he is, he's a lot more work to do to upskill to the type of you know, performance level of, of Ringrose, who's truly exceptional. And then... Scotland did put us under pressure. Scotland are excellent at going after that area and it's probably the one area that we are slightly more vulnerable in but you have to be vulnerable somewhere. You can't You can't have every eventuality covered. So what I loved about Scotland was when 
they did have those busts. Our scramble was fantastic. Our last line of defence, our willingness to get back onto the ball and turn it over, as was the case, um, to, to prevent a, a certain try in that um, first half against Scotland. So, you know, I think Ireland's defensive system is, you know, in that it's not as insanely aggressive as maybe, you know, the Welsh under... Um, 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 Sean Edwards yeah. or you know I think uh, but I think the sort of the French system now isn't as aggressive as that Welsh team either so there's a slight nuance and things have changed a little bit because people can read so I think he's taken a little bit of the line speed off and, and made them solid as well so but you know I think Ireland's defence is, is you know the cornerstone of, of winning championships is not conceding tries and Ireland have done you know have conceded fewer than anyone um, you know during that period and that is because of first um um, our, our first um, up defensive system. It's because we don't put huge numbers in rooks. And if, if again, we we uh, at the weekend, you can see very often we have a tackler. We have the second man into the tackle, which generally stops the tackler from making big yards or meters after contact. Those two players work extremely hard. Generally, nobody else does though. And those two players then, at least one or maybe two, get back up on their feet again as well, which means that you've got a defensive system which has 15 men on its feet. So that is a structural you know, decision before you go out onto the field and you go, that is the way we're defending. And it's been working very well for Ireland. Andrew, we have only touched on the red card up until this point. I do want to talk about that for this year's red card, which you at the time felt was a little bit harsh. You probably, like the rest of us, seen, seen it about 100 times at this stage. What do you feel today on Monday morning? Yeah, I've a lot of sympathy for him. I feel like... Um I think there's the, the technicality and technically it feels like, yes, technically it was a red card, but I, I just feel like he was just unlucky. And I feel like it's so harsh and there's there's definitely something not fair about if he's been unlucky, he's just got red carded and it just... F- so the mitigation looked at looked at this couldn't really find it the, the, the mitigation has just changed a number of times over the last number of years as well, which is confusing. But... Um, Mitigation. Am, am I right in saying that mitigation is a, a late change of direction or a sudden uh, drop drop in height? I feel like Hugo dropped a little bit in height, but then the the um, framework is it needs to be clear and obvious. So I think he dropped a little bit. So you're going okay. This is now this has become grey, and then the a change of direction is the principle there is I suppose the picture changes for the defender. So if he gets sidestepped, then that's mitigation. You're okay. You're not okay, but it's slightly more forgivable. To, to capture someone high, to, to clip them high because you've been off balance because their footwork is so, so good. Everybody sidesteps going into contact. No one, well, <laughs> most people sidestep going into contact. And on this occasion, is I would argue it's even more confusing than a sidestep because the ball is breaking. The ball is there for Freddie Stewart to, to go for. He reaches forward. His body shape goes from reaching for a ball in a strong position to take that space. And then within a split second, he goes from thinking he's carrying to to defending and um and then just like that to me is more confusing than a change of direction from a ball carrier because he's always the ball carrier <laughs> if that makes sense so the, i think it's just really uh, the, the headline for me is i just feel very sorry for him but if someone said to me is it yellow or red i'd say technically it's probably it is a red but it's just it's just very unfair i think <laughs> shane you were less sympathetic i felt I know I'm absolutely sympathetic, absolutely, and and if I was fairly sure, I'd feel terrible. I feel it's 
um, it, it, there's an unfairness about it. But listen, to Andrew's point there, there's two ways to look at this. One, do you disagree with the law, right? And I think yeah, that's what a lot of it. people are saying. I disagree the with moment. the law, they, I suppose, is what I'm they saying. They disagree yeah. with the law and they say that's not Shabbat. Now, I actually don't disagree with the law, but that's, we'll take that as a second point. And then, do you disagree with the decision? And I think you can't actually disagree uh, with the decision if you and the interpretation of the law as it is at the moment, I think the referee, you can see the referees don't feel great about this. Everybody in the stadium, I think, could understand that it is difficult um, for um, Freddie Stewart to to change his, his uh, behaviours. He could, he can, and we can come on to that. But it's difficult for him to do it, it, when there's something is when there's no intention on trying to hurt someone um, and there's no intention on foul play. Then it does seem. You know, for the normal person, that um, a sending off is is unjust. But the the intention, even the intention, I don't even think intention should be mentioned at all because it's completely irrelevant. Him not intending to hurt anybody is that's a, regardless. That's another conversation altogether. But did he do something that was irresponsible? And I don't think he even did that. What should he have done with his body? So. so this, this is the point. Well, well, one, I think intention is always mentioned. Now, you know, Andrew, it's, it it's so always, frustrating for me. It's yeah. really frustrating for me. It's like, it's don't mention intention. Yeah. It's not intention. It doesn't matter. That's not what we're dealing with here. So um, so we, we, we think about it, but overall, do we need this type of law? Let's go back to the, go on to the law now. So the decision was right based on the law as it is. I think the referee did very well to go through the mitigations. And Andrew said there, I don't think he could do anything else. So it is red, but we all, maybe everyone feels a little bit unjust. You go back to the law, you go, what is the purpose of these types of laws? It's to stop, to change behavior, to try and stop bangs on the head. So, and, and I use, the example that I use is, um, um, they were you know, the ball in the air and there's behaviors have now entirely changed because if you are second to the ball you know if you're not going to get there or if you you have to make a decision on the way up that you can't be reckless you can't I can't go up early. I, I can't go up and not get this ball. So people go up less because if you do flip a guy over, he lands on his head. That is a red card. Everybody acknowledges it now. There's very few red cards in those circumstances anymore because people have changed their behavior. If we're really going to try and stop head uh, collisions and, and, and head knocks, then there has to be in the back of your mind that if, if I go into the line, if I increase my speed and go into the line in that way and I'm second, then there's a chance if I don't, if I'm very careful about my body positioning, there's a chance that I'm going to get sent off. And that means... May, it may mean that you have got a coach inside uh, at halftime saying, why weren't you on top of that ball? Why did you hold off? Let him regather. And you, your defense would be because I, I made a call on it that if I went for that ball and got it wrong, it's a red card. So just don't go for it. Like, it, it if Freddie Stewart's in that position next week, Shane, if they're replaying the game, he's in the same position. He just... He just what he he lets the player through. He just doesn't go for the tackle. He hangs back. What does he do exactly? Well, I, I think you make, he makes his decision earlier on it and recognizes that he's not getting to that. And also, listen, he protected himself in that way. Okay, he did, but he, it was a turn. His shoulder was it was punched, and he jumped into him. Now, I I don't think that's the only thing he could have done. I actually yeah. don't believe that's the only thing he could have done. Yeah. He you know he chose to make to 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 turn his body in that way and he chose to protect himself in that way. Was there another way of protecting himself and, and you know, avoiding that contact? I think there probably was. I don't know. I think what, what should he was. do with his body, Shane? 
well, listen, he um, absorb it to the chest. The, the the issue is the issue is where how he got into that position. It's not the immediate point of contact necessarily. It's before that, uh, Simon. Mm. So it's uh, it's not putting yourself in a position where he's saying that is the only option. Otherwise, or you know, you open up your chest. He turned around, turned uh, you know, he turned slightly um, aside on and took his and took his uh, arm. Mm. You know, he did it. But if he stays, if he stays um, straight and square, he's still tall. I would say he needs to change his body shape or drop body two height. ways as well. So he needs to stay square and drop his body height. The body height thing is totally unrealistic. He can never, he can never um, lower his hips in that position. Because, uh, this is the split second, and he's changed his mindset. I'm getting the ball. I'm not getting the ball. I have to stay square and I have to drop my hips. I think it's totally unrealistic. And it's, it's, I just, it's supposed that one didn't really matter. I agree. Ireland would have won that game regardless. Imagine Ireland are playing in a quarter final against France or World Cup final, and someone gets sent off for just, in my opinion, just being unlucky. I think that's, that's not right. There's something wrong there about the laws, and there's an issue, and I don't know what the solution is. But wasn't that more, as Shane's outlined, is it more than bad luck? I mean, he's, he's put himself in that position himself. But I, but even if so, if if Shane, Shane's saying the two things he needs to do, he needs to not turn. Yeah, sorry, make a decision early. Again, unrealistic because the ball the ball is right in between the. If if it's even closer to him potentially as well, and he's just about to lose out, the ball is right in between him. It's totally unrealistic that he will not go for that ball, and I think it's equally unrealistic that he'll keep his hips square and he'll dip <laughs> because even if he stays square and he doesn't dip, then the guy's head can go into his but, chest. But there or are his balls you don't go for, Trims. There are balls you don't go for, and you're right beside you, and you do not go for them because of you know they're one you could give away a penalty for you know there's offside decisions where you go actually i'm not going to go for that ball and you person goes for a ball you go, why the hell did you do that yeah but it doesn't end, often end up in a, a red card and the high ball the high ball one is is i think you see the cues earlier because you have to you've got a couple of seconds you ramp up into that acceleration into taking off into the air and getting getting high enough to be a legitimate kind of catching option high balls is is okay it's more readable i think on that occasion the ball is right there in between the two players and it's i, I just think it's unrealistic that he can he can not go for that ball well i think it was how close was he to actually getting the ball that's the question how close was he not particularly close mm. Yeah, it's a time. Yeah, and then it becomes a time thing. I suppose I was in my head. I was I was creating this. I had gone into the hypothetical situation of the quarterfinal where it's even closer and it's even more confusing and he's even more unlucky. Mm. <laughs> and well, by the way, that's that is, and I, I mentioned it before the game as well. That w- what were my concerns around Ireland? How they would potentially lose to England? And and one of them was the six inf- inches or, or less or these situations where you know you take a hit on the top of the chest or it's slow, uh, and it's and it slides up on you hit you know someone in the chin or this kind of situation which we hadn't even thought about beforehand and that can could have you know cost Ireland a grand slam um and you know Ireland haven't I don't think I did a red card in this tournament no, at two, all and, two, uh, is it two yellows in a year or something yeah, we've given yeah. away a ridiculous ridiculously small amount of penalties and cards yeah, no, that and that's been that's been a massive factor. Said what you know, what has driven these Ireland successes? Defense has definitely been one. Discipline has been the other. Yeah, the World Cup. This is such a weird one now, right? Because we're we're world number one. We're Grand Slam champions. We've won all these games in a row. Uh, you know, you could say we should be favourites for the World Cup, but it's I, this is the most lopsided draw I've ever seen. It always looked that way, and after this Six Nations, it looks even worse that you've got England and Wales and all these teams on one side. And yeah, England and Wales are worse than we thought they'd be. 
and Ireland and France are probably and Scotland are probably better again yeah yeah, yeah. we've got tough physical games in the group before we even get to South Africa then Scotland mm. hopefully get through that play France or, or New Zealand in a quarter final what I'm asking you now at the moment Andrew is would you make even if the European teams we are Grand Slam champions we've beaten France would you say we're the most likely European team to win the World Cup um just just the nature of the fact that France are going to be playing at home and potentially it'll be them in a quarterfinal. If it's them in a quarterfinal, I think it's going to be very, very tough. If, if France get to where we know they can be, their ceiling is very close to as high as our ceiling is. And again, the performance that we had to pull out to beat them at home was all worldy. It was an incredible performance, an amazing performance. I've never seen one like that in a long time. And the fact that we would have to get there or even higher to beat them in France right now you, you you do well just where Ireland are to say that they're not the favourites out of the European teams but um, for me I think if if this if that quarterfinal was tomorrow and France are playing at home I'd be very very nervous and I would probably um, say France are probably the favourites though we want we want New Zealand in the quarters Shane strange thing to say that's weird weird <laughs> stuff for us to be saying isn't praying it? for blacks. the all blacks praying <laughs> for the all blacks um, I, I would though bizarrely I, I would yeah. fancy them more I think all blacks are going to be formidable at this World Cup as well so um, you know, they would be they would be a, a hell of a challenge but I think just marginally I would fancy them over um, a French team in, in the quarterfinals that you think will be will absolutely flying you know on a high now listen when when we when I think about it, I think about Ireland playing at their best, and you know, I'm sorry, France playing at their best, and maybe Ireland not quite playing at their best. But we just spoke about the factors that inhibit performance and inhibited Ireland's performance. We're all uh, assuming that because France are going to be playing in the quarterfinal against, if they are against Ireland, that the crowd and all that that comes with it is going to inspire a better performance for them and increase their performance level. Um, that may not be the case. It may inhibit their performance as it did um, for Ireland this week yeah. uh, to some degree. Um, and also, you know, if Ireland deliver their maximal performance, there's not much in this, even if France do as well. Because, you know, I think the, they're very different styles um, they're, and they will score tries in different ways. They break down defences in different ways. And you know, maybe um, at uh, who has the very best player, you know, I think Dupont stands out as the best player maybe in, in, in the world. Dupont doesn't um, strike me, moment. Shaggy, as a fellow who gets nervous. Can you can you ever imagine him Jesus. in the changing room before? Oh, lads, I've got butterflies today. Like, <laughs> Anton Dupont is a machine. That fellow is just impenetrable, completely bulletproof. So one of the best moments of, of a Six Nations that had many very many many um, big moments was, was him where he he there was a rook in pretty much in the well middle of the field but around the 40 and he took the step right to bring all the defence over to say he was going to box kick with his right foot and then hit it left foot and hit it 45 metres into the corner was one of the most yeah. astounding pieces of skills I've, I've ever seen on a rugby field and yeah. yes I don't think he's going to be inhibited necessarily by a few of his um, compatriots um, expectations and, and cheering I, him on but, <laughs> but, but, but who knows for the rest of them you know and they're, these are men as well they're, they're mortals um, I tell you what I, I do think is that Ireland would give it a hell of a crack you know one way or another um, I think we're probably in a situation now where we will we will perform in that World Cup and 
who knows what will happen you know we could lose to France we could lose to an inspired New Zealand but I think we'll perform and I'm not I'm not saying we won't have regrets um, you know if we were to go out uh, under those circumstances but w- what I would like most for this Irish team is to to perform at, at hopefully their highest level and, and see how far that gets us I think that's a really good point because in 2011 against Wales 2015 Argentina 2019 against New Zealand we played awfully like there's there's losing a quarterfinal and then there's playing awfully and kind of playing into this Irish trope of being awful in World Cups I, I kind of agree with you Shane I don't see this team underperforming or sort of falling apart in a game I can see us losing and us not being all that pissed off just because of how good the opposition will be Okay, but well, I do wor- fear the Schmidt thing and the amount of shade that's been thrown at Schmidt over the last few weeks indirect shade at Schmidt for oh, uh, in terms of all the praise to of Andy Farrell yeah. Yeah. yeah okay well maybe he'll be storing that up alright listen there's going to be a lot of World uh, Cup also, chats by the, way, by the way like just on that just when we have it just a second because yeah. I you know I know that there was limitations to, to what happened to with Joe and there was issues with that team by the end but Listen, we need to remember what he did for for Irish rugby, and there is no doubt, whatever you know, we want to say that this team is built on the shoulders of of many of the things that Joe Schmidt put in place, both in terms of player development uh, and um, you know the, the sort of systems in place. Yes, Ireland are taking the options, but this is very much built on on sort of Joe. Uh, Schmidt's uh, uh, intellect and where he moved Leinster and Ireland forward. I, I'm Let, let's spend it. the next few months talking up Schmidt. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right, what a coach, what a man. Shane, thanks so much for thanks so much for turning up week after week during this Six Nations. Andrew, <laughs> thanks for talking to us today. <laughs> thanks, fellas. <laughs> thanks, Emil. Cheers, man. Thank you. Bye, bye. What does it look like a turn up? Is it? Yobs. There's an incredible podcast on at the moment produced by the second captains. Biggest load of bollocks. The second captain's show in Ireland. We're now getting to that point now where we are inspiring. The second captain's podcast. Pretty much we've done for the last 20 years. Be role models to kids. Hey Pat, do you want to split? Ken, we've heard very little from you. Are you happy for the Irish rugby team, the team of us? Very happy. The they, they seem to be very good. <laughs> they are very good. <laughs> they are a very good team. Do you want to know even better news? A well, our, the, the, the youth, the youth, are, the kids are all right, Ken. The under-20s have won the Grand Slam this year. Back-to-back Grand Slam. What age is your man Shane? Dan Sheehan. Dan Sheehan. Early yeah. 20s. He seems pretty good. We had... we. Well, uh, he, he is very good, Ken. We had him at the uh, one of our Liberty Hall shows, of course. Should have probably mentioned that because it is one of those ones where, you know, you interview somebody or you meet them and assuming the interview goes well anyway, yeah. <laughs> you then root for them even more. And like and so to see him do what he's done, because it's a meteoric rise even oh, into the Lancer team. 23, Ken. meteoric. Uh, 23, so 23, there 24 you go. In, on the 17th of September, uh, 2023. Is that during the World Cup? Uh, we'll be to take that into yeah. the, the, the national team to like scoring two tries in the Grand Slam decider man of the match he's the one that's going to be the iconic figure from that well sorry Sexton you know but mm. the, in terms of actually how the game went and how he settled us with that finish especially in the first half you know whatever about the latter try which is also when the game was still let be won is just yeah. yeah. thanks for bringing him up Ken because we probably didn't give him yeah. as much coverage as we could have he done there what about the under 20s say? yeah I thought about that, good man. Good I, think, uh, I think Ireland are going to win Go the World on. Cup this year Oh, now we're talking. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. 
the despite how stacked who would you the rather who, who would you rather we get in the quarterfinal New Zealand or France keep in New mind now that the World Cup is in France New Zealand who would you rather get you'd rather get New Zealand we have their number don't we we were just saying that to be fair they've beaten New Zealand like we're saying 17 times in the last five years you know they're <laughs> they're not great. I know that New Zealand have got rid of um, Jacinda you know who was a disaster yeah. for the for the All Blacks, uh, <laughs> and the next person can't she, be surely. Was she head coach? I don't, I don't remember being directly involved with the. Just a lot of stuff seemed to go wrong on her watch on, <laughs> and uh, you know they, they they lost something like fifty percent of their historical defeats occurred in the premiership of Jacinda Ireland. So, so that's obviously uh, something that's a in problem. Their yeah, favor. But yeah, I mean, who, who else is particularly good at the moment? Like, I don't really, I don't see. You know, you, literally you, all the teams in our in our pool. So okay, France are very good at the moment. They're going to be at home. We still have to get through our pool, which includes South Africa, who are always good at World Cups, pretty much. And yeah, are they good? I mean, who is their who's their top player at the moment? Simon, South Africa's best player. Oh, it's about maybe Malcolm Marks. It's big lumps, big lumps, and Colby. No, no one we need to worry about. It's obviously mm, not named that. Roswell. Here, here, Simon. Here, Simon. Mm. Who's the France national teams? I, I mean, football. Who's their best player? Mbappe. Who's the Argentina national team's best player? Messi. So you see, when you've got a really good player, it's pretty obvious who it is. And uh, in the case of South Africa, there doesn't seem to be one of those guys. I mean, I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying I don't think they're, they're that good. I mean, I, when I look around, who who else is... Made, is there another team the there? South Africa before previous world. Is so there another bad. team there well, that you? Th- I mean, you're, I know you're, they're in our pool. Ken, have you heard of Antoine Dupont? Of course, he's the he's the uh, French. Um, uh, is he Le Petit General? Is he a scrum half or he a, is. Yeah. He, a scrum half? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a top. Um, he's a top. He's a top operator. guy. A top performer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there always, there's always going to be some some good players, but again, you know, who's who's the great team? I don't really see it apart from the team of us. So uh, I think this is going <laughs> to be the. Uh, I love this logic. I'm going to call it now. Some teams have too many stars. Some teams don't have any st- uh, enough stars. I love it, Ken. I love your mm. love your optimism. Oh, and Ken, just further to, to Dan Sheehan's birthday, the the latest news on that. He actually he turns uh, 24 the day after we play Tonga in Nantes. Mm. On the 16th of September. Just FYI, just in case you're um, planning your trip around that to coincide with Dan Sheen's birthday and the rugby game. Yeah. Yes. What, what what day is the final? Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go scroll. It, tur- it goes on a, it goes on a long time. That's it's, it's, it's probably November. The 28th of October it is, is 28th of October. <laughs> yeah, in uh, the Stade de France, Saint Denis. Just so you know. Yeah. Well, right. keep the weekend free. So we've got a bank holiday that weekend, of course. Yep. The party will roll on for an extra 24 hours, Ken. <laughs> Double bank holiday. Uh, congrats to the under-20s on their ridiculous achievement as well. I'm going to back-to-back Grand Slams. Mm-hmm. That's it for this show. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen Gurmagut, Ken. Thank you, thanks, Simon. Ken. Thanks, thank Simon. you. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Oh, and thank you, Simon. Thank you, Gerard. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to consider, at least consider signing up for the Second Captain's World Service on secondcaptains.com. You will, of course, in that case, hear all episodes ad-free. The Second Captain's Podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network.
that's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sports important. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now.